Tonight we're in the sixth lesson of module number two. Module number two is entitled New Creation Realities. It's all about what do we get when we get born again. You know, now that we've been redeemed, now that we've been saved, okay, so what? What changes? What do we get? What difference does it make? You know, what can I expect because I have been born again? What comes with salvation? We will conclude these 12 lessons in this module and move to module number three called New Creation Responsibilities. That's when it begins to get a little bit more direct because, you know, we all like to know what we get, but in the New Creation Responsibilities, we learn what we're supposed to give, what we're supposed to do for God. What is the responsibility of a believer? Not just what's, you know, what do we get? What's the benefits of being saved? But now what are the responsibilities of being saved? And then module number four will conclude with revelation and with the future. We'll be, we will be talking about all of the future things that believers really should know. What does your future look like? What's going to happen in your future? Where are you destined for? And, and, and how does that all come together so that you can have some uh, eternal perspective to add to your faith so that you can know not just where you've come from, where you are, what's required of you, but also where you're headed. Does that make sense? We really spent a lot of time doing this, and uh, I'm so excited about it. And tonight, uh, the 18th week, lesson number six in module number two, <laughs> here we are with access, a new creation reality. What you get when you come into Christ? What do you get when you step into salvation? Well, several things we've talked about this last five weeks. This being week number six, we're talking about access. You get access when you get born again. Now, don't, don't, uh, uh, don't imagine that, that, that access has always been granted. It has not been. People have not always had access to God. We imagine they have, but they haven't. They have not always, no, there have not always been churches. We imagine they're, 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 you know, because we grew up with, you know, there were churches, you know, before us, and, now, and we expect, no. Uh, there's not always been access. There's not always even been knowledge of God or God's will in the earth. There has not always, in fact, in the days of Samuel, the Bible says that there was no open vision, there was no open revelation, that there, you know, uh, that, that there was not much known, no fresh word from God, and, 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 and people really didn't know much about God uh, because there was no open vision. The Bible also uh, shows us a period of time between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew, but, uh, between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, was 400 years without the earth hearing a word from God. Now, that sounds interesting, but the fact of the matter is, uh, something happened early on that caused mankind to lose access to God. And access has been restored to the believer in such a fashion that we need to make more of this opportunity we have than, we, than, than perhaps we value or realize. Maybe we don't recognize at times just how blessed we are to have access unrestricted access to God. You see, uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, uh, the apostle Paul was telling the church in Rome, this is what he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through whom, talking about through Christ, also we have access by faith 
into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the, in the hope of the glory of God. We, we have access by faith into the grace of God. You see, before Jesus gave his life on the cross of Calvary, access to the grace of God was not possible. You did not have access based upon your own desire or intent. You know, uh, uh, when God first created Adam and Eve and he placed them in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says that God walked with them in the cool of the evening. Uh, they enjoyed God's intent to have unrestricted fellowship together with him. And uh, later, when sin entered into the picture, mankind lost his right to access the presence of God. In fact, Adam and Eve were, were sent out into the land of Nod, which means basically outside of the presence of God. They were separated from God. From that point forward, contact was very limited with heaven. And most of the time, contact was accomplished. Heavenly contact with man, if you read the Old Testament, was accomplished through heavenly messengers, through angels on assignment who made man to understand the will of God. And, and they worked with man on God's behalf, uh, moving people into positions and attempting to accomplish the will of God as heavenly messengers. Angels, in fact, provided the communication link between heaven and earth because mankind was not qualified to stand in the presence of God. You see, God could not allow sin in his presence. Even though God loved and missed and he longed for a relationship with his creation, sin separated God from man. And for this reason, God established a ritual. He wanted relationship, he wanted fellowship, but he could not endure sin. People would perish in his presence. And so God established a ritual, a ritual through which man's sins could be temporarily covered and allow God's spirit to descend upon the earth without threat of consuming man. This ritual, we know it as sacrifice. And the ritual of sacrifice, the sacrifice of the blood of bulls and goats, uh, was instituted and a tabernacle was constructed. The word tabernacle basically means tent or tent of meeting or tent of dwelling. It's God dwelling with man. God had the children of Israel to construct a tabernacle according to strict instructions after the heavenly pattern of the temple of God in heaven. This tabernacle was consecrated by the blood of bulls and goats and had to have a continual daily sacrifice so that the presence of God could manifest and the prayers of man could be lifted in the smoke from the altar of incense and be taken into the presence of God. God desired a greater day to restore relationship and to grant man unrestricted access, but that was going to take some doing. 
Until then, this ritual of sacrifice, a daily need, was something that God put in place so that he could continue to interact with mankind. The temple, which was built in Jerusalem, as I said, was patterned after the tabernacle uh, uh, in the wilderness, which was patterned after the tabernacle in heaven. And, and uh, uh, this both the tabernacle in the wilderness that Moses constructed and the temple in Jerusalem that Jesus would have visited in his day, both of those were patterned after the same manner, after that heavenly pattern. They, they both had three identifiable sections or three identifiable courts, if you would. Okay? The outer court was the largest. It was the first place where you would come to. This outer court, everyone was invited, and that's where they brought their sacrifice for sin, and they received a temporary reprieve from judgment. But it was only temporary. For the next sin they committed, that judgment was held over their lives again. And even if they had not sinned, yet that sacrifice was good and acceptable for only a season, for only one year at the most. And many other rituals also were performed in this outer court, which, uh, which these rituals were but shadows, types and shadows of things which were to come uh, through Messiah. When Messiah, the Lamb of God, would be offered as a sacrifice and would take away the sins of the world, one sacrifice for all sin forever. But that was yet to come. This inner court, there was an outer court where sacrifice was made. There was an inner court. This inner court was only accessible by the Levitical priesthood, by those who had been called and consecrated by God to do service in this inner court and to minister to the Lord. And then uh, these priests only entered after passing through uh, several steps of ritual cleansing themselves. And, you know, they did not want to appear before the Lord with any sin or without the cleansing of these ritual sacrifices because if they did, they could pay with their very lives. Daily prayers, as I said, were offered by the priest in this inner court on an altar of incense in this holy place, and they would rise in this smoke. But even the daily intercession that the priest made for the people, even the daily prayers that went up in the smoke of this incense to God, even these daily prayers were but a reminder of the sin that separated God and man. They reminded mankind that they had no real access individually, and they reminded God that he was separated from his creation. Uh, you know, this third area, an outer court, an inner court, which was also called the holy place, this third area was the smallest but the most powerful. It represented the throne of God. It represented the presence, the power, and the glory of God. It's called the Holy of Holies. And, and guarding that and protecting the entrance to the Holy of Holies was a very thick curtain, which was called a veil. And this veil separated 
separated God from man and no one could enter in. Inside this, this holy of holies was the ark of the covenant of God, the presence, the power, and the glory of God, upon which sat the mercy seat. And above the mercy seat, the cherubims who, who spread their wings over this mercy seat and over the presence of God, these cherubims which in heaven, the, 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 the symbol of them on earth uh, was, was in recognition of in heaven, them hovering above the throne of God, crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and worshiping him day and night. And uh, in this holy of holies, this third area, it was sealed, as I said, with this veil. And uh, uh, only the high priest of Israel, the very high priest, only one man, only the high priest, and only one time each year on the Day of Atonement. Only one time each year could one man enter in to the Holy of Holies. He carried the blood of atonement and he would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and gain a yearly reprieve for the children of God. But this priest had to go through great ritual cleansing to enter in. And just in case there was any sin or any error in his life, even without his knowledge, there were bells sewn into the hem of his garment that would tinkle as he walked and would ring while he moved. And there was also a rope placed around him and, and, and which, which uh, uh, led outside the Holy of Holies so that if he entered into that place and the presence of God descended and, and he was consumed because of sin in his life because he had no right of access. He could only come with the blood. And, and uh, if, if he had sin and, and, and if he was consumed and killed by the holiness of God, then they would draw him back out with that rope lest he remain in there for a whole year uh, uh, because no one could enter in. There was no access. This particular event, yearly event, symbolized the future hope of Messiah and his blood more than any other event. That one day Messiah would enter in and sprinkle his atoning blood, his perfect sacrificial blood upon a mercy seat to pay for all sin forever and grant every believer access to the presence of God. This great curtain... You know, uh, it denied access and it stood as a veil between God and man. However, on the day in which Jesus was crucified, it was along about three o'clock in the afternoon, what the Bible calls the sixth hour, okay? Uh, the noon, the sixth hour, until about the ninth hour, along about three o'clock at the ninth hour. There we find that the Bible says that the sun became dark. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and said, It is finished. And with that, he died. And in an instant, the instant he died, the Bible records the witnesses seeing the veil of the tent, the veil of the temple torn. It was ripped from the very top all the way to the bottom, exposing the Holy of Holies and making a way, granting access to the presence of God for all that would come through the blood of the Lamb. 
Jesus made a way for us that we might enter into the presence of God. He broke down that middle wall of separation, that partition, as the scriptures say, that veil. He broke down the middle wall of separation and thereby created a new access. Not the old access, but a brand new access for this new creation which would be born again in him. Through his blood, man could now be granted access and welcomed into the presence of God without fear and with confidence that they were accepted in the beloved. It's through Christ that this access was made. Therefore, we as believers have opportunity and even commission command and mandate from God to come boldly before the throne of God, to boldly present ourselves before the throne of His grace so that we might obtain mercy if we need it and that we might also find grace in Him to help others in their time of need. Our key scripture tonight is in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. Look what it says in Ephesians 3. In Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. You see, it's in Christ. Once we get born again, we come into Christ. And it's in Christ. When we are in Christ, we have boldness, we have access, and we have confidence because of our faith in Christ. If we look down to Ephesians 2.14, we can read this. For he himself, talking about Jesus, he is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. That's what he did. He broke down this veil of separation, this partition between God and man that protected man from God's presence. But now, because of the blood of Christ which covers us, we can come boldly. We have access. Look down at verse 18 in Ephesians 2. Continuing this same thought, the, the apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. We have access to the heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. Access has been granted not through the law, not through sacrifice, not through many prayers, not through much work, not through all of the things that we could accomplish or all the good that we could do, not even through all the, the loving nurture that God has always had in His heart toward man but rather through Christ's atoning blood, through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Messiah of the Jews, Savior of the world, this has granted us access to God. Access which up and until about 2,000 years ago was unimaginable and could not be achieved. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse 16, tells the believer, Let us therefore... 
come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You see, this bold approach, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. This bold approach spoken of here in Hebrews is best understood when we rightly define what this word boldly means. The term boldly here in this scripture, according to the Greek in its original intent, means this. It does not mean to come with brashness or harshness or with arrogance, as we might understand boldly today. This original term translated boldly means to come with openness, come with honesty and clean-heartedness. That's what it means. You see, there's a certain type of boldness we get whenever we are honest, whenever we are open, and whenever we are clean-hearted. It also means to come before Him without fear, without deception or ambiguity. Now, that's very interesting to me that God demands that if we are going to take advantage of this access, we need to come before Him without fear and without deception, without trying to trick Him or fool Him, as we see happen with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. We also need to come without ambiguity. We need to be as clear as we can with God. God appreciates our uh, attempt to be plain and clear and plain spoken with Him. It also means this, to come with a humble assurance. There is a humility that comes with confidence. And He wants us to approach Him with a humble assurance. And also this word means cheerful courage. The courage that gives us joy. Wow. That's how we boldly come before Him. Confident in our approach. Be confident when you approach God, you have been granted access by the blood. Come cheerful, without deception, with a clean heart, plain spoken, in openness and humble assurance that He is but waiting to accept you in His beloved presence. This brings us to a conclusion in our important points. Our important points, number one, important point tonight is that the blood of Jesus abolished the veil of separation between God and man. It was the blood of Jesus. It abolished this veil of separation that had stood between God and man for thousands of years. Point number two, mankind now has open access to God through Christ Jesus. Any person, any time, anywhere without respect to who they are, what they have done, or what state or estate or station of life they occupy, any person, any time can gain access to God through Christ Jesus. For it's in Christ we gain that access. Number three, important point number three says that those who are in Christ can approach God's throne with confidence. Don't forget, come boldly, come with confidence, a humble assurance that God wants you there. He paid a great price to grant us access, access which had been denied and access which had not been enjoyed for thousands of years. God wants us in his presence. And that brings us to the last point, point number four, which 
Uh, let me give you a scripture. Ephesians 1 and verse 6. Ephesians 1, 6 simply says this. To the praise and the glory of God's grace by which He has made us. He has made us accepted in the Beloved. That's what we are. We are accepted in the Beloved. <laughs> to the praise of God's glory. To the praise of God's glory. You and I are accepted in the Beloved. Amen.